0: Father, thank you for Pastor Darby. Thank you that he is just always so willing. Lord, whenever we speak to him, he says he's always so happy to serve. So I pray that tonight as he speaks, you will, you will heal our hearts and let us hear what you want to say through him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Yeah, I, the worship team has built up our spirits and our minds were unfruitful. Now your minds will be fruitful. So I, <laughs> I am certain that after my sermon tonight and during my sermon, you will certainly be using your cognitive functioning, you know, and that's just a fancy word for the electric secretary in your brain. Because the, the title of my message tonight is Being a Shrewd Christian. And I wonder, how shrewd are you? You know, Do you consider yourself a shrewd Christian? Now, if you have heard me preach before, you know that I am fascinated by Jesus. And I'm fascinated by Jesus because I am a follower of Jesus. And I have repeatedly tried to emphasize in this meeting that Jesus is the most enigmatic, amazing, mind-blowing figure I have ever met in my life. I wonder if you know him. Because the person of Jesus is the thing that blows my mind. When I read Jesus' stories, when I read how he interacted with people, when I read how he walked, when I read how he talked, he just continually blows my mind and befuddles my understanding. So I continually... Try to see Jesus from a different angle. I continually try to break Jesus out of the little boxes I have him in. Now, I have a little image of a few light bulbs flying out of a box. And I don't know how often you challenge your assumptions about Jesus. I don't know how often you try to reimagine the Jesus you are following. So, we've been called to imitate Christ. And this is a theme I've spoken about over and over again. So we learn as children how to do what we do because we learn by imitation. We look at our parents, we look at our friends, we look at the people around us, and we do the things that they do. We look at society, we look at movies, we listen to songs, and all of these things present to us opportunities for imitation. But Jesus lived 2,000 years ago, and although He's alive in us, we need to be examples of Christ towards each other. And it's only by activating our imagination, by thinking about how did it look when Jesus actually cleared out the temple? How did it look when Jesus was praying in the garden of Gethsemane? How did it look when Jesus rebuked? Peter? How did it look when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? So I am constantly trying to activate my imagination to think about how did Jesus do things? How did Jesus speak? How did Jesus walk? How did Jesus see the world? Because I really desire to see the world the way Jesus sees it. And in order to see the world the way Jesus sees it, I need to challenge the way I see the world myself. (laughs) Jesus, if you have read your Bibles, does a pretty spectacular job about this. And my next slide is uh, a confused-looking woman. And uh, you have not read your Bible if you have not been confused while reading it. Because when I read my Bible, and particularly the stories and statements of Jesus— I find not, not only Jesus himself and his sayings, but you can constantly see, I often imagine his disciples after Jesus has done a teaching or Jesus has said something or Jesus has told a parable that they have these like blank expressions on their faces going, what? What, 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 was, what was that about Jesus? It sounded cool. It was a pretty good story. But to be honest with you, man, we have no idea what you just said, you know? So Jesus talks about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and he talks about treasures, and he talks about pigs, you know, throwing your pole before swine, and he talks about sowers, and he talks about virgins and lambs and goats and sheep, and he talks about all kinds of things that are not necessarily that straightforward, and Jesus does it deliberately. Because he wants us to delve deeper into the story. Now, I'm not sure whether I went and picked the most confusing and most controversial parable of Jesus. But I think if this is not the most controversial and confusing parable of Jesus, it is definitely in the top five. Okay, there's about 48 parables of Jesus. And I'm drawn to Jesus' most controversial parables and Jesus' most intriguing stories because I feel like those stories challenge my understanding of Him the most. Those stories challenge me to see Him in a new way. And the incredible thing about stories is that they're like, you know, like ogres. I don't know if you've seen Shrek, you know, Shrek. Ogres have layers, you know, like onions, you know, and, and, and stories can just unfold, and you can see another angle and another angle. Just think about how many times you've heard the, uh, somebody preach on the project called Sun. I'm sure you've heard that sermon several times, and every time somebody preaches on it, they can sometimes bring a different angle, or they can look at it from a different perspective or emphasize something different. In the parable, and it's the same with this parable. It's like an enigma, you know. And you can read it and see something today, and you can read it and see something different tomorrow. I always make the example for those of you who have children. um, You might have seen certain movies several times. I've watched Cars about thirty times. I've watched Toy Story one, two, and three about thirty times each. Um, you know, and I'm always trying to get my kids into a different movie, but the thing that happens is, except for the fact that I can translate the Cars movie, if you put on Portuguese subtitles, um, you start to notice things in a movie that you never noticed before. You start to notice details that you never noticed before if you watch a movie for the 30th time. Now, I don't necessarily do this willingly, but I've done it unwillingly, and, you know, I've, I've seen the benefit of it. And that's how the stories of Jesus is. That's how the life of Jesus is. That's why I spend so much time in Scripture, because I— Sorry. Otherwise, I'll go, you know, till 9 o'clock and— you know, you guys need to get home. Um, I don't know, does Mnet still have the 8 o'clock movie? I, get, I guess most, most of us do the illegal download before, you know, it's on Mnet. Mnet is so late these days, um, but I'm sure nobody here does that. Um, but I want to delve into this this parable of Jesus, and I want to see whether whether we can discover something. Now, maybe as I read it, different things will stand up out to you, and I will emphasize something in particular, but allow the story to speak to you. And I'm reading from Luke 16, Um, it will be on the screens, um, but you are welcome to read it on your own device if you think I'm not reading from the Bible, (laughs) because I am. Luke 16 verse 1, and uh, it's Luke 16 verse 1, uh, verses 1 through to 9, and I'm reading in your team. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came to, the, that, to him that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, What is this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bowl and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here the manager said, take the bowl and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. How are you doing? If you don't believe me, you can look in your Bible yourself. This is a parable of Jesus. And this, the previous chapter, is Luke 15. And we generally don't have a problem with any of the parables in Luke 15. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. I'm sure many of you could probably come and preach on one of those parables and probably do a pretty decent job. Because we understand those parables and we've looked into those parables often. But I wonder if you had to come and tell us what you think Jesus is saying here. Is he saying that dishonesty is the way of the kingdom? Is he saying that we must use our money to advance ourselves and get us into a cozy situation? Is Jesus saying that uh, cooking the books is... uh, a good idea to get past SARS, especially if there's theft and corruption there already. I can might as well get a little bit of my, my own. What is Jesus saying here? What is Jesus admiring here? I think, first and foremost, it is certainly very clear that Jesus is not encouraging any kind of immorality or any kind of dishonesty because you can't read this parable outside of the entire context. Of scripture. This is not Jesus' greatest commandment. This is an aspect that Jesus is encouraging us in. Jesus' greatest commandment is loving God and loving your neighbor. And it's within that framework that we need to consider how shrewdness should look in our lives. But that's the specific thing I would like to look at. What is the behavior of the shrewd servant? outside of his dishonor- honesty and selfishness and clear character flaws that Jesus admires. Because if I can identify that, I can imitate that with a loving, noble heart for kingdom purposes. And that's what I want to look at. Now, Different people have taken different angles on this parable. Some look at it from a stewardship angle. I think another angle that's very pertinent in the passage definitely is our relationship towards money. And I think that's very helpful to consider as well. But I don't want to specifically consider that tonight. I want to see how we can become more shrewd Christians. And I think part of the clue is revealed in, in so whenever I'm, I'm dealing with a challenging passage, it's always good to read it in different translations, because often a different translation can sometimes give you an insight. I particularly enjoy the message. I know some people don't consider it scripture, which is okay, um, but I find Eugene Peterson's insights sometimes to be very helpful. And I just want to read the last part of of this particular passage um, in the message in Luke. And I think it can help us gain a little bit of insight into how we can become more shrewd. So I'm reading here. The master praised the crooked servant. And why? Because he knew how to look after himself. Streetwise people are smarter in this regard than law-abiding citizens. They are on constant alert, looking for angles, surviving by their wits. I want you to be smart in the same way, but for what is right, using every adversity to stimulate you to create to creative survival, to concentrate your attention on, on the bare essentials so that you'll live, really live, and not complacently just get by on good behavior. So I think a little bit of it is there, and I'm going to dig a little bit deeper into that. But this is not the first time that Jesus is asking us to be shrewd. I think another passage that we're a little bit more familiar with is the one in Matthew 10, 16. And I'm sure you've heard this one. Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes, and harmless as doves. I wonder how many Christians you would characterize like that. You know, my cell leader, he's as shrewd as a snake and as harmless as a dove. I wonder if you've met a pastor or a fellow Christian that you went, yes, this guy, yes, he's as shrewd as a snake. And as harmless as a dove. Because surely if Jesus is asking us to be as shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves, some of us should sort of get it right. Because if we're not getting it right, then what are we missing? Because Jesus is asking us, and because you know what we all know, we know that we are among wolves. So the first part of that passage, we are all like, for shizzle, minizzle, this is the case. I feel like I am a little lamb inside a wolf den, you know? So the first part of that scripture, nobody is in doubt of. Everybody is pretty clear on the fact that we are in this scenario. And I wonder if you think about how, if you've realized how desperate our world requires Shrewdness. I wonder, do you think God does not call people to politics? I wonder if the Christian politicians in our country suck, does not struggle a bit because they're not as shrewd as they should be. Because I guarantee you now, if God has called you to politics, you must be shrewd. You must know how to navigate that area. So I think shrewdness has a significant role in our lives, and we need to learn how to do this. So I've noticed three or four things that the shrewd servant does, and I think these are the three or four things. If you're taking notes or you have a photographic audio memory, um, you you might want to listen up now. Okay, the first thing that the manager does or that I see in the manager is that he has a high level of self-awareness. So he realizes that he doesn't have the muscle to dig holes, and he realizes that he's too proud, too big. So he understands his limitations. He has an awareness of what he can and cannot do. And I wonder if you've ever met a person with a low level of self awareness. Now, a good example of a person with a low level of self awareness is just watch a few SA Idol's editions. Okay, because those auditions are the perfect example for me of people who don't have friends that are honest with them. Okay, because some of those people come in and they sing, yeah, mainly, and you go, what? Why are you here and why do you think you can sing? You know, so somewhere something has gone wrong, because that person is not aware of the fact that they are not good at singing, okay? I know I'm not good at singing. That's why you've never seen me leading worship, you know, and that's why I've never been in the choir. I'm okay with it. Sometimes I'm, I take it a little bit personal, but it's okay? I am aware of it, but I think this is the first thing that shrewd Christians need. We need to be able to receive feedback and criticism. We need to be able to know what our strengths and our weaknesses are. We need to be able to know how God has put us together. And this is a challenging thing because it's hard to ask for criticism. It's hard to ask for feedback. It's hard to get an accurate view of yourself from other people. I know in the times that I've received it from people, it hasn't always gone down that well. But shouldn't Christians be the best at receiving feedback and and criticism because we know we are loved? Surely somebody that doesn't know Jesus must have a really hard time receiving feedback and criticism. They don't know Jesus loves them. We are the ones that are aware of the fact that Christ has died for us and that Christ loves us. We are the ones that should be the most well-rounded people with the highest level of EQ and self-awareness because we are constantly giving each other feedback. We are constantly building each other up in love. From the silence, I'm wondering whether that's the case. It's true. Is it not true? We know we are loved. And if you know you are loved, you take criticism a lot easier. So if somebody afterwards comes to me and says, Dobby, sure, man, this part of your sermon was a little bit dodgy, or yeah, I felt you were shouting at us a little bit too much, just cool it, buddy. Um, I would go, okay, thanks, I'll work on that. Why? Because I know I'm loved, so I don't take it personal. You know who takes things personal? People that don't know they are loved. But when you know you are loved, you can take criticism. Shrewd Christian. Number two, he acted immediately. He did not waste time. He didn't organize a prayer meeting. And I'm not saying a prayer meeting is a bad thing. I'm just saying using your wits, wisdom and shrewdness is about timing. It's about knowing when to act and when to wait. And shrewd Christians are aware of timing and they act in the right moment and in the right season and don't wait for somebody to have to kick them in the behind in order to get things going. So there's a, very, there's a balance we need between these two things. We need prayer meetings, but we need action, and we, know, we need to know what the balance needs to be. Shrewd Christians, high self-awareness, and they've got timing. The last thing, um, and this is probably these two things for me, is probably the most important, is that the shrewd servant knew how to operate the system. He understood how the system worked. He understood how the accounting system worked, clearly. And he understood how relationship and loyalty work because he exploited that. And you know where I see this the best? I don't know if you've ever seen children be shrewd. Because children can really be shrewd. And children expose the loopholes in any system very quickly. One of the classic examples of, of children being shrewd is when they want something. They want to go out for the weekend, or they want a cookie, or whatever. So they go to mom. Mom says no. Who do they go to next? As quickly as they possibly can before mom could get to dad. They go to dad and ask dad exactly the same question, or even Do one better, you know, which is obviously dishonest. Go to to Dad and says, Mom said I can have a cookie, you know. And so the thing, the point that I'm making here is that wherever you find yourself in life, we need to be aware of how the system works. We need to be aware of how relationship works so that we can leverage that for the sake of the kingdom. But, but this is the thing that's a little bit uncomfortable and strange for us, and that's fine. Because, I mean, the moment I introduced the title of my message, I could see from your faces that this was the first time you were receiving a message on shrewdness. I don't know, maybe so. I know... Some of, I see some of the centurion, one centurion person, yeah, I preached this this morning there. So they're the only person that already received a sermon on shrewdness. But for the rest of you, if this is the first time that you are considering how to be shrewd as a Christian, then it's fine for it to be a little bit awkward and unfamiliar to you. But that's what imitating Jesus is all about. I think about it and then I try it and see how things go. And then the fourth thing for me, and this is probably really the focus of my message tonight, is the fact that the shrewd servant showed creativity. He used his wits. He was creative in the situation. And this made me think about Jesus' statement in verse, I think it's verse 8, where he says, and it's true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them. And that's got me thinking. I thought to myself, why are the children of this world more shrewd than we are? What is it that they see? What is the paradigm that they have that we don't have or that we maybe don't use as often. So they have a way of seeing things that we don't regularly maybe look at things with. So I thought about an unbeliever, and the first thing that came to mind is that an unbeliever doesn't believe that there is a God that can act on his behalf. He doesn't believe that there is a God that's going to show up in any way, shape, or form. So the only person that an unbeliever trusts is him, Self. His own wits, his own abilities. Now what we know is that all those abilities, all those talents, all the wit that the shrewd servant uses in this scenario comes from God. God is the one that has blessed us with wit and intelligence and talents and shrewdness and creativity and insight. But we need to have a careful balance between our dependence on seeing God's power and our dependence on the power that God has already given us. Scripture says that God has given us the power to create wealth. It means that we have the ability to make money. So in one scenario, I can pray for God to put 5,000 rand in my bank account, And in another scenario, I can open a business. And I think it's very important for us as Christians that we don't just focus on the power of God showing up in that miracle, but we also focus on the power of God in us and through us. And the fact that your composition The fact that you are a conscious human being is a miracle in and of itself. The fact that you can think about your thinking is a philosophical reality that has befuddled philosophers for ages and centuries. The fact that we can be creative is an amazing thing. And I think sometimes as Christians, we don't get desperate, we get depressed, you know. Because an unbeliever doesn't have that option to get all upset with the fact that God hasn't showed up. All he does is is he tackles the problem in front of him. He tackles the situation in front of him and uses everything within his means and his powers to solve the problem. I think Christians sometimes just go, well, God's not doing anything, so I'm not going to do anything. And we must be careful because we should be able to use our wits even more than the unbeliever because we understand the source. We understand the source of creativity. We understand who designed us. We understand how He made us. And we can celebrate tackling the problems that come our way. We look at the problems in our lives And instead of using our God-given abilities and our unity as a community to tackle that problem, we ask, oh, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening in the country? Why are things so bad? We focus on what we cannot control instead of what we can. And I think our country requires this maybe more than other countries. I'm pretty sure every country requires it. But we need Christians in this country that doesn't look at problems and go, why God, why God, why God? We need Christians in this country that goes, thank you God for this problem. You have given us the wits and creativity and power to solve this problem. We will tackle it today. If you are a South African, you are intimately aware of the fact that we have a few challenges on the horizon. You are intimately aware of the fact that we have some shrewd, misguided politicians that has messed things up in our country a little bit. Now, don't we need some focused, shrewd, truthful, loving people to put us back on the path. We are not called to stand on the sidelines and just go, okay, well, I hope it changes. We are called to get our hands dirty. We are called to tackle the problems in this country. And this is what I believe Jesus is encouraging us in this parable to do. Jesus is saying, use your wits. Don't forget to trust me. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing me for a miracle. But I love this saying of Lee Zell, and I don't know if you guys know Lee Zell. She's an American um, um, teacher. But she, she preaches about when you're in the boat on the sea, pray towards heaven and row towards shore. And I think it's very important that in this country we pray towards heaven but we figure out how those paddles can move that boat as fast as it can and if we can turn those paddles into a power boat engine then that's what we're going to do or if we can get the fish to paddle for us then that's being shrewd and clever Christians you know but but I think that's just just very very important for us. So we must be creative, and we must see it. And and I'm by no means saying, and I think when you read the parable, you can easily look at the shrewd manager and go, well, he has a very, the end justifies the means approach. And I don't know if you've heard that saying. And and what it basically means is that if I want to become president, if you've ever watched uh, a series called House of Cards, um, you should repent, um, because it is... (laughs) It's it's awful. Um, I only watched a few episodes and then I stopped. Um, you know, but but I repented. You know, if you're not there yet, yeah, the Lord is patient and kind. But anyway, the, the 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 character in that series is a very much. He's very shrewd, but he's also very misguided. And he's misguided because he has an end, and that end is to become president. And no matter what he's going to get there. He's going to lie, cheat, and deceive, and do whatever he needs to do to get there. That's not what Jesus is saying. Because our end informs our means. Our end is the kingdom, and therefore our means must always be love. Darwin, last week, shared on that love. And it's that love that must make room for, for shrewdness, But there is a paradoxical relationship, apparently, between shrewdness and love. And it seems in Jesus' mind, the two can come together, and the two can come together in an amazing way. Because the shrewd servant was only looking out for number one. We are called to look out for each other and to look out for the world. And I think when we attempt to be shrewd with that in mind, I don't think our shrewdness will be misguided. I don't think our our creativity will be misguided. I don't think the way we do things will be misguided. So I hope that something has dropped in your spirit and that this week when you face a problem, don't stop praying, but at the same time that you pray, Won't you make this your prayer as well? That you say, Lord, I am going to use all my wits and creativity to tackle this problem. That at the same time that you pray, you say, thank you, Lord, that you have empowered me to live life to the fullest. Whether it's a problem in your family, whether it's a problem at work, because there's one thing that I know, and this is the same as the wolves scenario is that I know each and every one of you has challenges and situations in your life. And Jesus is calling you to tackle that problem with courage and creativity because He made you and He is with you. Now use all that God-given ability to tackle that problem. Let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for the amazing way you've created us, Lord. You have made us in your image, Lord. And you have made us in a spectacular and wonderful way, Lord. And we want to use all our talents and abilities and wit and creativity and shrewdness to advance your kingdom, Lord. Lord, we want to imitate you in this way, Lord, in order to see your kingdom come in every area of our lives, Lord. Give us the courage, Holy Spirit, to tackle every problem We face this week with that same mindset, knowing who has made us and knowing who is with us. In Jesus' name, amen.